Slips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. everybody. I'm Barb DeLong, your host. I invite you to step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical UFOs to unicorns, and of course, everything in between. My special guest tonight is a good friend of mine that uh, <clears throat> she and I have traveled the, the airwaves for almost a decade. Scary thought though it is. Her name is Cynthia Jordan and she is responsible for my intro and many other amazing musical uh, pieces that, that are available all over the place. Cynthia began her career in music when in 1983 her song Jose Cuervo, You Are a Friend of Mine, became a number one song of the year. For 12 years, she studied classical music with concert pianist Dr. Nino Albanese, and in 1984, after her success with Jose Cuervo, she moved to East Texas where she founded Kids for Kids, a Christian music ministry for children. In 97, she moved to Nashville, where she signed a record contract to compose and produce 11 CDs of ambient piano music for Music Page. Cynthia's had over 4 million downloads of her music on the Internet, and today her music can be heard on the popular cable radio show Soundscapes. 
After receiving numerous letters telling her how her music was helping people, Cynthia began researching studies that had been conducted in using music as a catalyst to promote wellness, accelerated healing, and stress relief. She began working with Vanderbilt University in Nashville and developed a program that has been used for continuing education credits for nursing programs, geriatrics, hospice, pediatrics, drug and alcohol rehab, and special needs children. In 2005, Cynthia moved to Texas and created a radio program in San Angelo she calls Ah Radio to help people relax, students to study, and to put kids to sleep. She's on a personal crusade to enlighten her audiences to the power of music, and she calls her program Music, a Powerful Soul Lucian. She's written two, two spiritual books, Butterfly Moments and If I Was in Heaven, and her most recent projects are her historical books, Pearl, that we're going to be talking about tonight, and the sequel she calls Diamond, and there is a third book coming out called Ruby. The books are full of fascinating history and address women's issues from 1900 to 1929 with humor and sentiment. Pearl is currently being negotiated for a 12-episode miniseries and is now a theatrical musical as well. The novels have created a new speaking topic for Cynthia she calls The New Woman. She's an entertainer at heart and guarantees her audiences will never be bored. And if you happen to get one of her books, which I strongly recommend, make sure you have a box of Kleenex nearby. Prepare to laugh out loud. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Wow, Barbara, thank you. And it's good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't have any longer bio or we would have been here, you know, in the next hour. <laughs> you live long enough, you got a long bio. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's such a, it's such a treat to have you on the air tonight because, um, I, I have read all of your books, of course, and, um, and just so delighted that, that you're here to share with us tonight because, um, you're, you're, your music, your your books, your the topics that you cover are so inspirational and so unbelievably um, enlightening and and mind expanding. And your music, of course, is is just phenomenal. I I am so thrilled that you gave me carte blanche to you know cut up your music and put it wherever I wanted to and things. Uh, your music is also, I might add, though though not one of the higher things on, on your resume list for sure, but you did all of the music that, that is the background music for the documentary that Patrick and I did on Secrets of the Stones. That's right. Yeah, that was the first one. There's, it's going into another documentary right now, being filmed and uh, finished up in Hollywood. So, yeah, I'm, I, I, that's one of my big dreams is to have my music in motion pictures and film, you know, so that's starting to happen, and you're the first, you're the first, Barbara. <laughs> well, it's at least on the internet, you know, I, um, you know, it, it's, it's just such magical music, and of course, I've always listened to your music on, I didn't realize it was your music on, on Soundscapes, to tell you the truth, but, right. Uh, right. but that, you, you play elevator music, how cool is that? Right, right, well, you know, when you study classical piano, like I did, Perfection was always, I was always striving for that perfection, 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 because, uh, you know, it's classical music and you want to honor the composer. 
so I started writing my own just so I could relax, you know. I figured I can't make a mistake because I'm creating it myself. <laughs> it's a, it's kind of like an abstract, you know, an abstract to a painter uh-huh. is what I do on the piano. You know, no mistake, just colorful, you know, music. And I'm actually teaching my method of composing that anyone can learn how to play the piano. I mean, I'm teaching my 87-year-old dad right now. He goes, really? He's he's composing music, and he's only been doing it for a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm doing that. From- well, as, as soon as I get a keyboard, I will challenge you because okay. it's something that I have always wanted to do, and I just figured, well, you know, her father's older than I am, so there's still hope here. Right. Um, but the, the reason... Um, you, you, I mean, we could talk about so many different aspects of, of the material that you have out there, but tonight, tonight we're focusing on your books, which right. I adore. And, oh, thank you. You know, when, when your friends say, I've written a book, um, you, you think how great, and then they ask you to read it and you cringe and you think, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my doctor has written a book, and uh-huh. and you know, and you know, I I have actually read it. And it was a good one, but but you know, you kind of want to be able to say, "Oh, it. it's fabulous! <laughs> I loved it. It was spectacular," and 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 mean it. And I have trouble lying. So you know, when you said you had written a book and you told me the premise behind it, I thought, okay. And, and, and I read Pearl and I fell in love with her. Oh, I totally fell in love with her. And then, and then Diamond, the second book, um, I, I, you, you continued, you took a character from the first book and you wove it into another one. Right. And, and then, um, the next one is Ruby and she is a character from the second book that gets, you right. know, that you're following through. And, and I think that when, when you came out with Pearl, I, I said to you at some point, this feels like it should be a series of books. Right. And, you know, you said, let me get done with this one first. Right. And, right. <laughs> and it's turned into a series. And I just am so delighted because I'm the kind of person that, that reads really fast. And so mm-hmm. to have a number of books that I can follow characters through, mm-hmm. to me, is such a treat because it means that it's not over and done. It's sort of like... One piece of chocolate is 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 super wonderful, but when you have the whole box, oh, oh you know, thank you. yes, uh-huh. thank you. You know, you can be a glutton, right? And, and that's that's, and and you know, it's a, it's an amazingly um, exciting series of books. The characters are unbelievable, and oh, thank you. and and you know, you want to go tell a little bit about how it happened, right? Well. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that you said that you like my characters. When I went to write these books, I my objective was for my reader to fall in love with these characters because I fell in love with them. And that was, you know, I wanted them to understand each of my girls. And so what happened, Barbara, was I live in a town that was founded on gambling, saloons, and brothels. And it's in the West. There's a fort here called Fort Concho where the Comanche, they built it post-Civil War to fight off the Comanche because there were so many people coming West. And 
so we're kind of, we still hold that ambience very strongly here in San Angelo, Texas. We're kind of in the middle of nowhere. We're the largest city, not close to an interstate. And the two tourist attractions we have are Miss Hattie's Bordello and Fort Concho. So, uh, I, which I found to be interesting. It's also the only place in the world that produces a pink pearl. It's a freshwater pearl in the Concho River. And so I found all of this kind of intriguing. Very, there's a lot of feminine, uh, a lot of sacred feminine energy here, I would say. Very peaceful. It's, it's a nice, very nice place. People are really friendly. And so one day I was thinking, you know, I'd been playing all that piano music that we all love and it's so relaxing. I thought, you know, that Jose Cuervo stuff was fun. I want to get back and do something fun. You know, that's a song about drinking tequila and waking up next to cowboy. You don't know who it is. And I thought, yeah, that's, I want to get back into that. So kind of tied it in with, with Miss Hattie's Bordello. And then part of me was saying, ah, Cindy, do we really want to go down that road? You know, do we really want to, do we really want to do that? You know, and then, uh, what happened one morning, Barbara, it was, you know, that before you get your first cup of coffee, when your mind is clear and nothing's in it yet, and you're just kind of, you haven't focused, you're just kind of woken up and you're looking for the coffee and there's nothing Uh in there. Well, I had had, and you've told me that I have, some psychic abilities. You've always told me that. And I had been mixed up in my thoughts about doing this was this one little sentence that would say, you know, tell them why we did it. You know, we weren't bad people. And and then I would say, why did they do that? You know, because I mean, really, you know, that can't be a fun business to be in, really, Uh you know, because I mean, sometimes it could be if you got a good looking hunk, but that wasn't always the case. You know, you know, you get these smelly, hairy old men, you know, and you go, really, you know, and so I thought, gosh, who, who would want to do something like that? And then that morning, my husband and I were having coffee and I mean, loud and clear, I heard in my head, tell them why we did it. We weren't bad people. Tell them why we did it. We weren't bad people. We weren't bad people because, you know, those girls were treated horribly. And so I kind of stayed with that. And I walked over to my piano and I said, well, why did you do it? You know, Mm -hmm. and, and it felt like there were three women standing behind me. And one message was, oh, I, my husband died in the war and I had a baby to take care of. Right. Uh-huh. And, and so the other one I heard said I was an orphan. I mean, I had nobody to know where to go. And then the other one kind of said, uh, I ran off with the, a, a guy. I fell in love with him. He was handsome and horrible and he dumped me in the middle of nowhere and I was too ashamed to go home. Right. Uh-huh. So there I had Betsy Redbird and Annabelle's story right there. And I wrote the song, if you could wear my slippers for just one day, then you'd understand why I'm nice to the men. And I make my living this way. And I, about 20 minutes later, I went into my husband who was for my second cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I just wrote a song. And 
that was the beginning of the idea for the musical and the idea for the book. And with the idea that, you know, no matter where we go, Barbara, and you're in a cluster of people, everybody there has a story. You know, so you're at the grocery store, you're at a function, you're at a concert, you're at a restaurant. Everybody there has a story, a, a, a colorful story, their own personal journey. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take 10. Well, first I was going to do five girls. And then, of course, when they know you're listening, <laughs> and I know you know this. Yes, I did. Because it's like they get really excited and they won't leave you alone. And I've heard other authors have this experience as well. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're saying, who is talking? Where is this coming from? Who is this? Right. So Uh I thought I was done at seven. Then I thought I was done at eight. And I ended up with 10 women that work at Miss Pearl's parlor. But I came across the story of these two women. And I had heard back in the day that there were women in this profession that made millions of dollars. And I thought, What's the difference? What was so different about you that you made millions of dollars, right? Uh-huh. Compared to the regular uh, prostitute. And I met these two women who had the most famous brothel in the world. They were world famous. And what an interesting, interesting story. It was Ada and Minna Everlay. And they lived in Chicago. And their whole concept was we are going to cater to wealthy men, right? Uh-huh. So we're not going to line them up. In fact, what I thought was really interesting was the doctor would come in and check them every week. And the doctor was saying, now girls don't have intercourse. And I went, what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. So they'd say, all right, you know, we don't want that gets you pregnant or disease. You can be creative, but don't do that, right? So huh? these so these girls had etiquette lessons every day. Uh, they had to read every day. They had to be up with current events every day, just like the courtesans in Venice back uh, during, you know, the Renaissance. They had to be elegant, charming, funny, ha, 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 ha. And they... In today's money, these men would come and the average, you know, person come in would dump about $5,000 in today's money. And, uh, you could not enter the Everlay house unless you were wealthy. You couldn't be fat and obese. You had to smell good. You could never be rude to the girls, ever. And if you were, you were banished forever. There was no mercy there. And so I thought, wow, what a message for young women today to yeah. be, because back in those days, it was imp- to be impeccable behavior, to be a lady, to be a gentleman showed that you had class. And that is completely out the window now. And so th- that whole idea of being a lady and the, so the women, they had 12 parlors that they decorated and they made these little fantasy rooms and the girls were fantasy girls. But the most, the reason they made so much money was the way they branded themselves. It's the same thing as there's cars and then there's a Lamborghini, there's Uh houses and then there's the mansion on the hill or the behind the gates. There's, you know, McDonald's and then there's, you know, 
21. Shakes. Yeah. 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 I mean, there, there's, but not every, everybody can go to McDonald's, but not everyone can go to 21 or, or the, or drive a Lamborghini. You see what yeah. I'm saying? So what would happen was they were feeding the male ego with these men. And one man, while I was writing the book, made the perfect comment. He goes, what else are you going to spend it all on? Right? So, so they would come in and they say, I'm here and you're here and we're here because we're somebody special. Right. And the, and because there were over 500 brothels in Chicago and these women were making money hand over fist because these girls had, were handpicked. They had to be beautiful. They had to be clean. They had to look nice. They had to be ladies. They had to be educated. And a lot of them married, you know, a lot of them. And in today's money, those girls made about $400,000. And the, and the Everlays made millions in their, in their day, millions, right? Uh So I thought, what a great, I, concept for young girls to to be a lady to see yourself as something special to demand respect and to be respectful of yourself and to take care of yourself so that only special men right Uh because because that's concept you know nowadays i'm very concerned with young girls and the way they just give themselves away and their self-esteem is just you know crazy Uh but what's I find what's the most interesting is that human nature itself has never changed. There are two instincts that we share with all mammals or all living things on the planet, which is procreation and survival. The thing that makes us different is that we're creative. And when you put three, those three things together, survival, procreation, and creativity together, you get Miss Pearl's Parlor. <laughs> Now, um, you, you have, Pearl is being, um, it, it already is a musical. And, yes. um, it's going, it's going to hopefully be a 12 part series. Right. Well, that has, that little idea kind of went dormant, which is very typical of Hollywood. I don't know what's really happening with that. We have another producer who actually won an Emmy who loves the script. So it's getting around right now. The- so, so, so you actually had actors play these yes. roles and, yes, and, I did. and we have clips from that. Yes. Yes. I, what happened was here in San Angelo, you know, when Jose Cuervo happened, I had to be absolutely sure that it was a hit song. Right. And everywhere that, I went, people love that song. Because if you're going out in a business like the music business or the entertainment business at all, you have got to totally believe in your project because they're going to beat you up, right? Oh, you yeah. Ha- so you have to know that your your product is a smash hit and that you're just looking for the right person who sees it as a smash hit because Jose Cuervo was song of the year and it took me five years of beating down doors and beating the pavement and working like crazy and, you know, showing up at every opportunity, blah, 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 blah. Because what happens is the universe is watching 
The universe is always watching. And the most, the best thing that you can do when you want something is to say, all right, here it is. You do it. Because my son, Jordan, who you know, he came and stayed with you, uh, uh-huh. says it, he says it so beautifully. He says, when we have a thought that we want to manifest, the univ- and we turn it over to a loving universe, uh, you can say the word God, whatever you want to say. When, in my case, I said God. And I said, God, you do this with Jose Cuervo. I said, in fact, I even got angry. I said, you promised if we ask, we get, well, that's, cr- you know, a bunch of crap. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was, I, cause I had been praying and I'd been working. And, and when I finally said, why don't you do it if you even exist? I had the song of the year two years later, right? So, right. so when you turn it over and you have something that is, is very, very, very special, the universe will bring that you there's a saying in the music business all cream comes to the top you can't hide a hit you cannot hide a hit and pearl i'm convinced is a hit now so right now we're looking for the right the right fit in this in the spirit of may west uh diamond has you know the whole third part of diamond is all about may west and man what what a woman she was and Turns out that a family friend that I grew up with that was best friends with my grandmother was Mae West's personal assistant, and I never knew that. She always, they always told stories about Mae West, but I, I didn't know that they actually worked with her. Wow. And she was She was a phenomenal, wonderful, strong woman, and she was all about her audience and people. You know, you can create something, but you don't have a hit unless people love it. Right, and so... So I, I got to bring you back to topic here. Um, okay. Okay. So so you you took your script, and, right? And you had actors portray the different roles. Exactly. And so what happened was my phone started ringing off the hook because people heard that I was recording the book. Uh-huh. So I I had them lined out the door, and um, people. So the book is on tape. It's on Amazon.com. And it's all different actors and actresses, of course, because I produce music. It had to have music. It has sound effects. So why don't we get Sean to play Ada and Minna's philosophy? Because I think you'll understand where, I mean, this is actual dialogue from their book, from their auto, from their biography. So this is their words. Minna and Ada Everlay were extremely wise women. The first thing you must always remember is to forget why you are here. Be charming and have a good time. Men are wired differently than women. They have physical needs as well as a longing for female companionship. Here at the Everlay House, we have a service to fulfill, both with grace and elegance. This is how we will compete with any other brothels in Chicago. If a man just wants sex, he can go down the street and pay less for it. Here, we give them much more. Minna was much more outspoken than her sister. You will not be lined up like cattle. You will position yourselves in different locations throughout the house. Gentlemen only act as gentlemen when properly introduced to a lady. And remember, 
You are all ladies. You will receive regular examinations by a doctor. All of you are healthy now, and we expect you to stay that way. Men like women to be clean and smelling nicely. Do not be hasty to take anyone upstairs. We require that you spend at least an hour in conversation with any potential clients. This fulfills the male need for companionship. Remember, you are their fantasy girls. We want our girls to be masterful and creative with their talents. There are several ways to satisfy a man's needs with no fear of pregnancy or disease. Again, your attitude will provide the excitement he longs for. After a man has reached his climax, your power is gone, and typically his adoring nature will change. The longer he is experiencing your charms, the more erotic his experience will be. This increases the potential that he will return. You will all be paid a hundred dollars a week and you are allowed to receive tips and gifts. You have a beautiful place to live and delicious food to eat. We will be sure you are dressed well. The entry fee for every client is $10. We will charge $50 for dinner, $12 for a bottle of wine, and $50 to spend time with you. Make no mistake, we will soon be known as the finest in Chicago. Okay, so. That doesn't sound like a lot of money now, but boy, back then it sure was. And and so Miss Pearl took her, her, the structure of the Everly House. Right. And. First, first I thought we could talk, we should listen to uh, what happened with Miss Pearl in Chicago. Uh, She falls in love with Robert. And so what really happened in Chicago is that um, the first night they had the mansions all set up. And the first night that they opened, they three different sets of men showed up. They hadn't advertised. It was kind of a word of mouth thing. And first was just a group of regular men. But the Everlay sisters could see that they were not high dollar guys, you know. So they said, I'm sorry, you have the wrong house. They didn't even. <laughs> they, they just said, no, I'm sorry. And you must be mistaken. And the second group was a bunch of theater people. And, of course, they were very familiar with the theater people themselves. And they knew that they didn't have the kind of money they wanted. You know, So they said, no, no, I'm sorry. You, you've got the wrong place. But the third group was a group of Texas cattlemen, and they said, come on in, boys. The girls are ready to see you. So the story goes that Victoria and Robert McKnight meet each other, and this is how Victoria will eventually come to Texas. So why don't we have Sean play Robert Meets Victoria? Okay. When Victoria saw those Texas cattlemen walk through the door, she was amazed. They were different from any of the men in Chicago she had ever known. They even walked differently. The Texas men certainly had a presence of strength and vitality. All of them were smiling, 
and they reminded her of children in a candy store. The men were wearing suits and ties, and collectively they were exceptionally handsome. The Everlay sisters were making introductions to the girls. As Victoria watched, she remembered the ladies always said, Gentlemen are only gentlemen when properly introduced. One very tall Texan was standing next to Ada when she said, My hands are cold. With that, the Texan quickly called over a waiter. Two bottles of champagne for the lady. The champagne warmed those pretty patties. Victoria was not forthcoming, whereas many of the more experienced ladies knew how to flirt with their eyes and get a man's attention. She decided to keep her eyes on the piano player and focus on the music. She didn't notice the tall, handsome gentleman who had been standing back watching her from across the room. Sensing that someone was approaching her, Victoria looked up and saw Minna leading the gentleman who had been watching her by the arm. Mr. McKnight, may I present to you our beautiful Victoria Pearl. Mr. McKnight kissed her hand. Very pleased to make your acquaintance, my dear. Miss Minna, I believe I would love to have dinner and share a bottle of champagne with this lovely lady. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so for the listeners, because they don't know, Victoria Pearl comes to work for the Everlay sisters, and she's had one bad experience with a man, but back in those days, uh, and she was in love with him. When you had an experience with a man, you were a fallen woman. You were damaged goods. And so she was just, she had resigned herself to being a librarian the rest of her life and met the Everlay sisters in the park. So that's how she comes to the Everlay house, but she is very unexperienced, totally unexperienced. She knows nothing about anything. So the, the girls educate her, which is kind of a uh, fun, fun thing because uh, one thing that, is important to me about writing this book was I feel that women who've had experience, we have a responsibility to mentor to the younger girls, right? And so what this does is the book was really designed to open the dialogue between all ages of women. And so, um, Oh yeah. And I, when, you, I, when you consider what the mores are today, we're talking the 1920s and, and, during right. that time frame, women were not supposed to be wise in any manner of, of a sexual nature. Oh, right. Well, actually, this was 1900. It was the 20s oh, okay. where, where, where the book evolves to. But this particular place right here that we're listening to was 1900. And that was, you're right, it was very, they were still wearing corsets. They were, um, in those days, you could only kiss if you were engaged, I'm not kidding you. I mean, it was way different back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, or you were not a gentleman. You could only kiss a woman if you were engaged to her. Right. So, and all courting was done in the parlor uh-huh. under, under chaperone supervision. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's how that was. And then, so as the story goes, Pearl um, 
finds herself alone. And uh, I don't want to give too much of the book away because I really would like the listeners to be surprised. And so she's in Texas now and she's distraught and she's grieving and she knows one business. And so she had made friends with back also in the in the day, the uh, Southern girls, which the Everly sisters were from Kentucky, uh, especially in the you know, in the middle states, Kentucky being one of them, the black, they always had black help and, uh, but they were like family, right? They treated them like family for the most part. Uh-huh. And, and so there's a character that the Everly sisters just adore her. They love her. And her name is Mozella. And, uh, Mozella actually befriends Victoria Pearl and, comes to Texas with her and comes to her to comfort her. And because the Everlay sisters in real life, they get chased out of Chicago and they end up in New York. So the way that the story evolves, it's right around World War One, and Mozella is not working for the Everlays anymore, so she comes to be with Pearl. And so now Pearl has modeled the same format at Miss Pearl's Parlor as the Everlay sisters did. In other words, the girls are beautiful. They have, they're classy. They have to be well-read and they have to have etiquette, all of that. And so the next clip that we're going to listen to is the story of Emma Grace. And she shows up at Miss Pearl's Parlor and Emma Grace is a virgin. So, when I wrote this book, I mean, I've got every aspect of woman, every story that you can think of from all ages that I, again, I wrote it so we can open up the dialogue between generations of women. Uh-huh. So Emma Grace is a virgin. She's never been with a man, but she has nowhere to go. And so she shows up at Pearl's Parlor because a man named Charlie knows that she is alone. Her father just died of tuberculosis. San Angelo was a place where people would go when they had tuberculosis because of the dry climate. So her her father just died of tuberculosis. Her mother died when she was born. She has nowhere to go. This man said, oh, you need to go to Pearl's Parlor and get a job there. And Pearl says, yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet Charlie told you that because you're a very pretty girl. So the next clip that we'll listen to is little Emma Grace shows up at Pearl's parlor with her little suitcase. Excuse me, ma'am, are you Miss Pearl? Yes, I am, dear. The young woman pulled a letter from a small leather bag. A very nice gentleman, Mr. Swanson, told me to come see you, Miss Pearl. I see. Come up on the porch, dear. Mozella, would you please bring us some iced tea? Yes, ma'am. Psalms 104. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless. Sit here, dear. You look tired. What is your name, honey? My name is Emma Grace, ma'am. You are quite pretty, Emma Grace. Thank you, ma'am. 
I've fallen on some hard times, Miss Pearl. I have no place to go, and Mr. Swanson told me I should come and talk to you about a job. Emma Grace quickly handed her the letter. Pearl opened the envelope, put on her reading glasses, and began reading the letter out loud. May 23, 1923. Dear Miss Pearl, I hope this letter finds you well. My purpose for writing is to introduce you to Emma Grace. Her father was a lunger, and they came to West Texas when he became ill. Unfortunately, her father died of tuberculosis in Carlsbad last week. He was a good man and strong in character. I recommended that Emma Grace contact you as I personally hold her in good standing. With kind regards, Mr. Charles J. Swanson. <laughs> good old Charlie. He always had an eye for a pretty girl. Well, Emma Grace, tell me about yourself. Mother died when I was born, and Daddy and I came to St. Angelo several weeks ago. He had tuberculosis. They called him in Lunger, and he has been in the sanatorium in Carlsbad. I guess it was too late for my daddy. He died last Thursday. There isn't much money left, and I'm afraid I don't know what to do. I have nowhere to go, Miss Pearl. I have an aunt and uncle back in Missouri, but they have seven children already. I certainly don't want to be a burden. Mozella walked out on the porch and handed Emma Grace a glass of cold mint tea. As she turned to go back into the house, she raised her eyebrows at Pearl and smiled. You are quite lovely, Emma Grace. Did Charlie, I, I mean Mr. Swanson, tell you about what we do here? Yes, ma'am, I know. Emma Grace looked at Pearl with all the courage she could muster. Miss Pearl? I, um, well, I, Miss Pearl, I have never been with a man before. Pearl was tame um. <laughs> and charm. Somehow I knew that, dear. But I'm sure I can learn. Pearl liked her. I have an idea. Mozella could use some help with some domestic chores. Can you cook? Oh, yes, ma'am. I have been cooking for my daddy my whole life. Well, at least you won't go hungry, and we can put a roof over your head. Another pretty face at the parlor is always advantageous. Emma Grace, I believe you could do well in my business. However, I do not want you doing anything you are not ready to do. Why don't we give it a few weeks and see what happens? Come on in the house, honey. Mozilla will be happy to have the extra help right now. It's Friday night, and the girls are bubbling over with excitement. We are expecting cowboys tonight. It is the spring of 1923. Fate has brought 13 women together to work at Miss Pearl's parlor in San Angelo, Texas. These are their stories. Wow. Right. I, you know, and I, <clears throat> I love the way that you have taken each of the girls, explained how they came to be in this profession. And right. What, and what, what brought them to it. And, they are so real, and and I know that they are very real to you, and right. uh, it comes across in the book. It absolutely comes across. Right. You know, there were times when I was writing the book, Barbara, that I would just fall over and just start bawling and squalling, I mean, sobbing, because I could feel the pain of so many women. I represented 
you know, all 10 women represent, you know, for instance, anyone who's been violated uh, as a child. I've got that woman in there uh, as a grown up. I've got that woman in there. Uh, so all different kinds of, of stories, um, I would call them categories, are represented by the 10 different girls. And I could just feel this pain um, for women who have been violated and were cheated out of their innocence, you know, um, or, or just mistreated because of they weren't bad people, but things bad happened to them. Right. Yeah, and and I I do want to point out too that while some of the stories are 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 very touching and very moving and very some are very sad, and yet um, the books are not sad books. They they have humor. <laughs> they have humor in them. They have they are they are a delightful read and and they're an educational story for for a great deal of it. And I found it fascinating. Um, in 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 the fact that that you took the stories and you 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 followed them through and and then that you extended them to taking some of the characters and going even further with them in an, in an additional book to me was was incredibly exciting and um you know there there is sadness here and there but right. for the most part the the book is so lighthearted and enlightening as to what people's prospects were and, right. and the, the, the limit, the, the limited choices that they had and how, uh, how proper society, mostly women, um, looked down upon them. And yet sometimes those women came to intermingling and, and, and talking to Pearl as well. So that there, right. there's, it, it, there's a softening. Here that that is really very very profound. Oh, thank you. You know, you just uh, led up to a really good thing that we can do right now. Um, I, there's a clip here, and this is one of the clips that just. I mean, even when I listen to it, I I'll cry. You know, uh-huh. uh, because in our own country, uh, and it still happens at some degree. But back in those days. Because virginity was so precious, and um, if and to be not be a virgin was so damaging, you know that you were just pretty much garbage. You were damaged goods, uh-huh. right? What would happen? And it happened in Chicago and a lot of the big cities. Uh, men would scout out and look for young girls that were pretty, you know. And then go charm them and and then take them to um, coffee or something like that. And then they would take them to a place where them the he and several other men would have their way with her, right? Uh-huh. And and then uh, give her drugs and a nightgown and pretty much kidnap her. And there she was, and she would probably, many times they would just die there because they couldn't leave. You know, they kept them doped up and and that kind of thing. That used to happen all the time. Uh, today, we, you know, the white slavery kind of thing. Yeah. And 
And the other thing that would happen, the Everlay sisters would never allow families to sell their daughters, which would happen as well. Uh, families that were poor would go down to the Levy District in Chicago with their daughters and sell them to these brothels. And um, so there's a family betrayal. And um, so what happens there is, uh, so this is Ginger, and Ginger is betrayed by her mother. And uh, Ginger is in the story, she lives in the bayous of Louisiana. And I grew up, or I grew up, my we lived in East Texas, so we were real close to Louisiana. So I got a real nice feel for the culture of of Louisiana. It's a wonderful, wonderful state. Very exciting. Very, it's like Hawaii. I mean, it's as far as having its own character, right? Uh-huh. And and so this uh, little girl grows up in the bayou. Her name's Ginger, and her her mother is just. As the southern people would say, she's just sorry. You know, she's a prostitute, and her father hunts alligators, and they're never home. So the the black community has taken this little girl in, and and they uh, raise her pretty much because her mother's hardly ever there, and her little best friend is a girl named Daisy. And of course, there was segregation back then, and uh, Ginger could never understand why, you know why black people were treated any different <laughs> than, than, than her. She, to her, they were family to her. So I think what would be good right now is we could have Sean play the part about where Ginger's mother, who ignored her and treated her horribly, uh, takes her to New Orleans. Okay. So, Okay. Ginger had never been more than two miles from the little shack on the bayou and had never called it home. Mamie's house was Ginger's home as far as she was concerned. On the train making its way to New Orleans, Ginger was in awe of all of the new sights. There were different kinds of trees, and the land had countless different shades of green. Ginger saw big houses, little houses, small towns, wildflowers, farms, and grazing cattle. Ginger spent the entire trip at the window and barely spoke to her mother. She wanted to take it all in. Thank you for bringing me to town with you, Mama. Ginger's mother neglected to respond at all. She just lit up a cigarette. When the train arrived in New Orleans, Ginger's stomach was filled with butterflies. In the train station, she saw a black man playing a saxophone with a few coins in his saxophone case. As they headed into Storyville, her mother barely spoke to her. The three-story mansions stacked together closely on Basin Street were like nothing else Ginger had ever seen. If the walls could have talked, what colorful stories they would tell. Storyville was the home of painted ladies, the birthplace of jazz, and a place where laughter and lonely hearts came together as one. Ginger's mother stopped in front of one of the big mansions, took a deep breath, and then looked at her daughter she barely knew. We're going to meet Miss Georgia Louise Allison, Ginger. I want you to smile and be on your best behavior. When Ginger's mother knocked at the door, 
A black man dressed in a dark suit and white gloves answered. Ginger's mother was anxious. I have an appointment with Madam Georgia. Yes, ma'am. Won't you come in and have a seat? A few minutes later, a middle-aged woman wearing strands of pearls and a diamond ring on every finger appeared. Is this her? Mama? You were right. She is a pretty girl. Well, Ginger, we're going to get you all prettied up. Tonight is the big night, you know. We've got some men coming just to see you. Madam Georgia looked at Ginger's mother. You sure she's a virgin? Yes, yes. Can I have my money now? I gotta go. Madam Georgia handed Ginger's mother a bulging envelope containing $1,000. She opened the envelope and looked inside. It's all there like we agreed. Ginger's mother headed toward the door. Mama, where are you going? You be a good girl, Ginger. Just do what Miss Georgia tells you to and you'll be fine. Mama! Her mother did not even say goodbye. Ginger never saw her mother again. You look like a good investment. I'll get at least three times what I paid for you tonight alone. A woman in her early twenties entered the room. Georgia's tone was stern. This is Carla. You'll spend the afternoon with her. She'll get you ready and tell you what you need to do. Don't let me down, Ginger. You belong to me now, and I'll take care of you. Just don't let me down. As Ginger followed Carla up a massive circular staircase, her heart was fearfully thumping. Her mother was gone, and Ginger had no idea how to get home. Carla led her into a big room full of women sitting on single beds. She sensed Ginger's fear and tried to be helpful. You don't know, do you, honey? Know what? Your mama sold you, child. You belong to Madam Georgia now. Whoa. Yeah, that's uh, pretty heavy stuff right there. Unbelievable. Yeah. We have, Cindy, we have like two minutes before there's going to be music playing and we're going to take a break. But I I just, I cannot imagine, um, you know, what, what that must have felt like. And it happened, it it still happens at some in some degrees, you know. And, you know, it's different listening to it, isn't it, than reading it. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was important for me to, you know, because I'm so audio, because I'm a musician, of course, to put these this book in audio form so that people could really get an impact of, of that. Right. So that's one of the heavier places in the book. Uh, don't worry, folks, we're going to be laughing pretty soon. As well, <laughs> well it, you know, I, I really have to say that that it, for, for me, all of them had a happy ending so sure. that so that so that it's not that there was there was horrible tragedy here. And, and in many cases where there was sadness, um at the very very end there was there was great joy so that right. so that you did follow them through each of them so that so that you came to a place where you, you felt glad for them you felt happy for them even though there 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 are times where and that's the way life is you know that, we do have is. you know no matter what generation or or what decade you're living in um 
if you if you if you follow through it, that that old Bible thing, you know, this too shall pass. It, it, right. it is true. Yeah, in my in my books, everybody has a happy ending. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's my book. I'm writing it. My story. I'm there. They all have happy. But this, the point is, is that all of these girls are better off at Pearl's Parlor than what their life was, and that's oh, that's yeah. that's the the point of all of these girls' stories. And I fell in love with Mozilla too. She oh, was, I love Mozilla. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I I want her. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, everybody wants somebody like her in their life that is just going to stand between, you know, s- you know, stand stand between you and whatever comes to haunt you because she's not letting it through. Mozella, her big thing is she quotes the Bible all the time. She likes to quote the Bible, right? And and ev- she's, she's got a Bible verse for everything. So. She did, she did, and you know, it, it's it's such an amazing story that, that you tell and. And yet, um, you know, it, the description of the area and the town and the people, you, you really see it in your mind's eye. And, right. and it's just, it, it's amazing. You kind of want to go to the, you, you kind of want to visit and, and just see what it's like. And, and the Everly sisters, holy mackerel. Yeah, really. Yeah. They, they were, they're my heroes. I just really admire those women. And, and I think Minna, I think Minna is always waking me up and she goes, okay, don't worry. We've got, because I know that this, you know, our friend Lizzie. Yes. Lizzie Starr. She was one of the biggest reasons I went for this because she said, Cindy, this is going to be huge. This is going to be really, really big. So like I said, I'm looking for that right fit. We'll be back in three. Okay. necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation. Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. 
Over three gigs of survival documents and how-tos, plus the USDA offline food preservation website, and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a megavirus or a computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands so when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records, addresses, phone numbers? Well, squeeze on over to freedomslips.com. Yes, that's www.freedomslips.com. Click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer. So, folks, keep your data safe for your peace of mind. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons. Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958. And Studio B is 716 716- 748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. King Arthur had nothing on us here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and freedomslips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. This is Nightlight, and I'm Barb DeLong. Thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. 
please help endorse our efforts and airtime by visiting the station's support page and making a donation. From station owner to all levels of management, the entire production crew, and every host, we all work without compensation of any kind except, of course, for the sheer joy of being a part of a very unique and special station, one that supports a true sense of freedom. Any donation, even a small one, is greatly appreciated and keeps freedom ever-present out there for those who seek independent thought and new paradigms and philosophies. And we are back. So, we have um, an amazing brothel that we've been visiting. <laughs> um, you, I, you know, I have to tell you... Um, you you know you do think about what what brothels are like and you do have visions in your mind and yet back in in the time frame we're talking about we're talking an elegance that that just isn't out there anymore that that right. is um i mean uh, the the brothels that that you hear about or that you see in exposés and stuff like that are nothing like the elegance that Miss Pearl had or the Everly sisters as far as that goes. And, and, you know, in, in a way, this was a refuge for, for the women that, that were able to make their, their way there and were able to, um, become educated in the elegance that the day demanded so much so that many of them did marry and, become a part of, quote-unquote, respectable society. Like Susie Poonton. Yes. Susie Poonton, everyone, was a real person. Uh, that name wasn't made up out of thin air. She was a little gal from Shanghai who came to America, and she worked at the Everlay House for one evening. And ended up marrying a very wealthy millionaire. So you'll, you'll have to read the book. I actually wrote the ballad of Susie Poontang and filled in all the details. So there's a lot to that story. It's, I found all kinds of great, I, I would, you know, I was researching. I had my iPad on one side, my laptop on the other. And I go, Oh my gosh, I've got to tell this story. Oh my gosh. So the, the book is very, very heavily, heavily, heavily researched, heavily researched. And most of the only fantasy, I mean, even the stories are real. Uh, the stories happen to me or people I know or, or, you know, the story. So the stories are real. I just put my own spin on them, change the names, of course. Uh-huh. But for instance, uh, you know, there was, there's a couple of the girls who lost their lovers. One was a husband and one was a boyfriend, um, in World War One, for instance. And man, when I wrote those chapters, I would bawl and squall thinking about the, all of the women throughout the ages who've lost their husband to war and what a waste war is. You know, oh, it's, yeah. it, you know, it's just a waste. It, it, it doesn't accomplish anything except, Male ego, you know, people in power, and it's the people who who suffer through it. So um, that's another story. But um, another story, though, that 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 goes along with all of this that I don't think, I don't believe, are covered in your clips, is the fact that that San Angelo, when this story started, was Mm -hmm. was kind of uh, a sleepy type town. 
Right. But the oil industry woke it up. Right, right. So it's it it's about the Santa Rita well, which I found out since then that the oil that the Santa Rita was actually discovered in 1923. And, of course, Miss Pearl and Mosella herself are the Everlay sisters took good care of Mosella and they're investors in the Santa Rita well. And the Santa Rita, uh, all of West Texas, it was thought to be barren. And the Santa Rita opened up the whole Permian Basin. And, I mean, amazing oil discoveries out here in West Texas in land that was just completely barren. And it was one of the reasons that the Americans and the Allies were able to win in World War II was because of the Santa Rita, because it, it produced so much oil along with California. Those were the main sources of oil from the pipeline that went to Germany that kept the tankers and everything fueled. So the, the Santa Rita itself is a very important well in our United States history. And the story of perseverance is just fantastic. So that story is woven into this. Uh, it's a great story. Well, and, and it, it made everybody rich, too, which was right. really kind of cool. Yeah, they were all doing that, the happy oil dance, which right now they're not, but when, when it's good, it's good. <laughs> when it ain't, it ain't. So anyway, True. so the next clip that we're going to listen to is I, I was down at Miss Hattie's, um, there's the Burdell and there's also the restaurant, right? And there was uh-huh. a, a big group of women that were having lunch and they were, you know, baby boomer and older age, right? And I said, can I just ask you ladies something? I was in the middle of writing the book. And um, I said, how many of you got the talk from your mother before your wedding night, right? And nobody raised their hand. And I said, how many of you didn't get the talk, right? And everybody raised their hand. And I said, Wow. And one lady gets up, this little lady she was wearing, um, I mean, very conservative lady. She goes, my, my mother told me that it was like jumping up and down in a wash tub. <laughs> I had to write that in the book. Wash, jumping up and down in a wash tub. Okay. So uh, I, I was very fortunate and I actually dedicated to the book to my mother because when my mother gave me the talk, I was very young. She wanted, I was like eight or nine years old. She wanted to make sure I got that information from her. Right. Right. And so at one point I went, Oh, and I was just completely going, Ew, how gross, you know, (laughs) gee, that was pretty nice of them to do something so gross, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I guess they did it four times, you know, because there's four of us, you know. I thought, ew, they had to do that four times, you know, <laughs> me and my, <laughs> my three brothers. And and so at one point, Mom said, do you have any questions? And I said, well, how do you know if that polywog gets to the egg, you know, because she had these little polywogs, these pictures, yeah. little chicken egg and polywog and stuff, because I was completely confused. But I never forgot what she said. She said, Cindy, it's like walking into a field of flowers that all open up at once. That's what my mother said. Really cool. Isn't that beautiful? And I said, I did not know what she meant, but I never forgot it. 
I never forgot it. So the next clip that we're going to listen to is uh, Granny is explaining. uh, Maggie has had an experience and she's not quite sure what happened with her, with the preacher's son. Remember Billy Ray was a preacher's son. Yes. And so she's not quite sure what happened. So she uh, goes to her grandmother and her grandmother's caught off guard with the uncomfortable question. So, uh, let's play that, Sean. Granny. Granny, tell me about sex. Why in the world are you asking me that, Maggie? Bobby Ray just wrote me and told me he had sex with a girl, and now they're going to have a baby. He had to marry her. Oh, Lordy sakes, child. Let me think about this a minute. Okay, sex is when a man and a woman... Um, it's when a woman and a man... Um, okay. Remember when Honey and Speckles were hooked together and you asked me what they were doing? That was sex. Then remember Honey had those three little puppies? That's what happens when men and women have sex. Maggie's father, listening to the conversation through the back screen door, walked in grinning from ear to ear. The first time Anyone had seen him smile since he had returned from the war. Come outside. Sit with me on the front porch, Maggie. I'll tell you what you need to know. Sex is when a man and a woman experience oneness, Maggie. It it can be a beautiful experience if, if it is done in the spirit of love like your mother and I. You know how Speckles has a penis and Honey has just an opening... Same goes for men and women. Your brothers each have a penis. Sex happens when the penis becomes stiff and it's inserted into the woman's opening to plant the seed for a baby to grow. Sex is when a man and a woman experience oneness, Maggie. It can be a beautiful experience if it is done in the spirit of love like your mother and I. In an enlightening moment... Maggie put it all together. Oh. Oh. I guess then I had sex with Bobby Ray, Daddy. I just didn't know what it was. I just (laughs) knew it was nice. Maggie's father deeply looked into his daughter's innocent face and could not help but smile. How could he be upset with her? No one had ever told her about sex before. She didn't even know if it was wrong or not. Maggie's father loved her openness and honesty. Her naivete made her even more sweet and innocent. Jonathan thought of the different women he had found comfort with and of his beloved Louise and the way she smiled at him after they had made love. Soon afterwards, Louise usually would ask him to make love to her again. Maggie, I believe you and Bobby Ray made love. Even though technically it's the same action, sex and making love are really two different things. Sex is just the act itself. Even honey and speckles didn't make love. They just followed their instincts. Humans are different because sex can be an expression of love for a man and woman to share in the most intimate way. Okay, Daddy. I think I understand it better now. But Bobby Ray and I didn't make a baby. How come? Well, it it doesn't happen every time, Maggie. If I were you, I'd consider myself lucky. 
Daddy, do you think Bobby Ray made love or just had sex with that girl? He told me she reminded him of me. Men are made different from women, Maggie. They have basic physical urges to have sex, and love is not as important to them as it is to women. Unfortunately for Bobby Ray, I think he just had an itch that needed to be scratched. Now he has to pay the consequences. I feel kind of bad for him. Thanks, Daddy. You must miss Mama terrible. I miss Mama too. Maggie kissed her daddy on the cheek. She went back into the house to her room. Granny walked out onto the porch to talk to her son. Good job, Jonathan. Aren't you angry about Maggie and Bobby Ray? <laughs> Mama, after what I've seen in the last five years, two young people making love is not on my list of terrible things. On the battlefield, I saw boys die whose only sexual experience had been with a prostitute. A lot of them had syphilis. No, Mama, love is always a good thing, and I believe Bobby Ray loved Maggie in a puppy love kind of way. I guess you're right, son. Boy, did she ever throw me for a loop? I honestly didn't know what to say to her. No one told me about sex before I married your pa. In fact, the night before my wedding, your grandmother told me that it hurt. But you had to do it to have children. She said it was a wifely duty. The problem was she never explained what it was. She just kept calling it it. <laughs> oh my! I love my friends. <laughs> wow. So, so there it is. You could play that little clip for your kids, your grandkids. I mean, there it is. All right, it's all it's all explained right there. We got that's the talk, right? So yeah, that is the talk. But but the reason I like that, the way it was approached, right, was, you know, he didn't get angry. Um, and for all that you know, forever it's been girls are bad, boys it's natural. Girls are bad, you know. Uh-huh. But but I think that needs to go away. The dialogue needs to change is that sex is a natural thing, period. And it needs to be um, young people, especially should be educated and mentored, you know, to know the difference between because, you know, it, it really messes with a young girl's self-esteem to have sex or be used that way and then wonder what the heck happened, you know. So exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, I th- I think there, I, there's not a clip here, and, and I would highly recommend also uh, people getting your book, if for no other reason than to read how uh, one of the town's women approaches Miss Pearl and asks Miss Pearl to talk to her husband about, oh, God, I can't remember, the button, the whatever. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, well, yeah, I saved that. Um, you know, I hold back. I didn't want to play that on our show today. Because no, no, I, I, I totally it's, it's, agree. Yeah, it, it's called because I want people to, you know, have you, sometimes have you ever seen the clips before a movie? And the trailers, yeah. The trailers, and you saw the best scenes in the trailer, you know, so you think it's going to be really good. Yeah. Because, because, I mean, that dang magic button is 
probably i mean i i still laugh and cry when i'm listening to that so that's the big surprise y'all you need <laughs> um, you need you need to hear the, the woman asking miss right. pearl to explain not demonstrate to explain yes. something to her husband right so that she can make the same noise that her sister makes and yeah it's probably one of the most charming, Aww, thanks. loving, um, sweet, and, and she paid Miss Pearl for the advice. And I forget yeah, what yeah, she, she had. She, she had saved a dollar. And, uh-huh. Well, she had, sa- she had saved two dollars, actually. She says, Miss Pearl, I've saved up two dollars for you to give my Henry an education. Right. <laughs> and. And Miss Pearl only takes one. She only takes one. And, and I love, I love that. And, and, uh, so ladies, if that are listening right now, there is a, I could tell you, if you don't do anything else, get the book just to have your husband read about the Comstocks. Okay. Yes. <laughs> just read that one. That one chapter is very enlightening to men. And, uh, I actually wrote a, uh, there's a song I wrote that goes with that. That's, uh, when in the musical, when Pearl oh. goes to when she wants to tell Henry about the magic button, which, oh. by the way, my girlfriend and I were going to get T-shirts that say I found the magic button. You oh, know, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, we're going to do that. But but we can only give it to the men that deserve it. OK, oh. so um, yeah, that, that's going to be our, our new thing. But uh, anyway, but they uh the it it's pearl sings a woman is like i'll just say it, i won't sing it it goes a woman is like a violin with curves shapely and round and when you play her with passion she makes the most glorious sound tell her you want to make love to her and feel her deepest desire she will sing you a love song and light your passionate fire look into her loving eyes the windows to her soul if you see a starry light, this is how you know that your woman loves you. She will invite you in and sing you the most beautiful love song, just like a violin. So, yeah, that that's a, it's a, it's a really cool song that she, and so Miss Pearl sings that too. Now in the, if people buy the audio book, is the mm-hmm. music included in with it? There's music in there. Uh, that's woven in there, not from the musical. That oh, by the way, I like to invite people uh, to go to cynthiamusic.com. I'm I'm running a special right now. You can get forty percent off of the books. So um, which is you know there's a co- there's a code there, a discount code. So uh, cynthiamusic.com. It's real easy to remember. Just remember Cynthia and music and. Dot com and Pearl is available there and the audio version is available at Amazon.com. It's also available on iTunes and uh, um, it's all over the place. So, <laughs> it, you know, it, it is. Yeah. So we've it's doing really well. It's very entertaining, as you can tell. It, it truly is. And I just, I, I just loved Pearl. And okay. I thought, I thought Diamond was, and Diamond deals with, um, the, the, um, uh, the movie industry in, in right. its, its very beginnings. The silent movies, right. Because yeah. my dad, my dad was born at Universal Studios. My, 
my grandfather took care of the horses. He was an equestrian there. And Daddy was born on the studio lots. And Universal is a city in itself because it has a, ho- a hospital, a police department, and a fire department. And so uh, it was. it's considered a city, Universal City. So, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty interesting. So, okay, so now we've learned about sex. Yes, so. now you've learned about – you got the talk. So now – uh, here's a real short little clip. Um, so Emma Grace, who was our little virgin, who showed up, right? Yeah. Uh, Tommy Lee comes a lot of times, you know, boys would go to the brothels for their first time with a woman, right? Yes. And to sow their oats. And so the boys have all put their money together for Tommy Lee's birthday for him to go and be with a woman for the first time. And he's not really going for it, but he sees Emma Grace. And he just, oh, he's just totally Twitter-pated, right? And uh, so what you have here is you have the two virgins that fall in love, Emma Grace and Tommy Lee, right? They just, it's it's so sweet, you know. Um, so she never, of course, goes into the business, and, and they're, it's love at first sight, and they, you know, they fall in love, get, they get married, and you know. But here's Tommy Lee after meeting Emma Grace. This is him telling his daddy all about Emma Grace. That evening, as Tommy Lee was brushing his horse, his father joined him in the stalls and asked him, "Did you have a good birthday, son?" Oh yes, sir. I met a girl in San Angelo, and I think I'm in love. How did you know Mother was the one? Well, son, the first time I saw your ma, I felt like she had something that belonged to me. That's exactly how I felt when I saw Emma Grace. How do you know a good woman, Dan? When you fall in love with a good woman, Tommy Lee, it's like falling in love with Texas herself. You know that wherever you are, She loves you, and no matter what age she is, you will see her beauty. Her loving eyes sparkle like diamonds, just like the Texas stars on a moonless night. Son, when you're in love with a woman, her heart reaches deep and grabs a hold of your soul. Where did you meet this little gal, Tommy Lee? I met her at Miss Pearl's parlor. She's the one, Dad. Emma Grace is the woman I'm going to marry. Jed continued brushing the horse, not looking at his son, fearing his eyes might say too much. After a long pause, he said, That's good, son. As they moseyed to the house, Jed patted Tommy Lee on the back and suggested, Let's wait a while before we tell your ma. (laughs) You recognize that's Jordan, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. my son there. So let's wait a while before we tell your ma, Miss Pearl's parlor. Oh gosh. Anyway, um, so that's that's just a precious little story that's woven through here. So you you know, like I said, you have all aspects. We've got our innocence, we've got our violations, we've got a humor. I mean, the, the books. I don't think I missed anything when it comes to experiences that women have and men and women have together so uh so i think right now i love this clip this is my girlfriend 
and I love this woman. She's from New Jersey, right? Okay. So she she has this beautiful Cockney accent. I mean, just it's just she's just awesome. And I actually wrote the character Aunt Rosie because of her. Uh, she her grandmother her, had a her husband would go out drinking and gambling and stuff and moved his girlfriend next door to them. And so she would, uh, the way that she'd kind of get back at him is he'd come home drunk and she'd clean out his pockets. Right. Uh And, and so this is real. Tammy told me about her grandmother who lived to be like 104, you know, I mean, just an incredible, incredible lady. And so, uh, I wrote this, I wrote this, uh, character for my friend Tammy and her grandmother of 104. So, uh, it will play the Aunt Rosie clip right now. By now, both women were laughing hysterically, tears in their eyes. The two friends finished the last of the champagne, still talking about old times. Finally, Pearl announced that she was hungry, and Maddie agreed. From the house, they heard music blasting. Sure enough, there in the great room, everyone, including Mozella, was doing the Charleston to a record that Rosie had brought from New York. Pearl decided to make it a ladies' night and closed her other services for the evening. Tomorrow would be the official Santa Rita party when they were expecting businessmen from all over the world. But tonight, Frank Pickerel was the only man allowed in Pearl's parlor. As far as Pearl was concerned, he certainly deserved it. It was a night for celebration. All those challenges and long months of tenacity had come to this moment. Pearl, Frank, Mozella, and the ladies from New York had been bonded by the success of the Santa Rita Number 1. They drank, sang Irish limericks, and danced all night long. When Frank left the parlor around midnight, the party turned into a girl talk session with Rosie taking the lead. She had had plenty to drink and wanted to share. I loved my Joey Goyles. Believe me, I did. I just didn't understand why he did what he did. My goodness, both of us grew up in the coal mines and married when we were young. We moved to the city and both of us started working in a bar. Joey was Italian and could hustle like nobody's business. In fact, he ended up owning the bar, and pretty soon we were doing okay. He moved us to an apartment in Joyzy. One day, I sees the lady next door hanging up her laundry. All of a sudden, she's hanging up green striped underwear that looks just like my Joey's. And then, I remember, she don't have a husband. And the underwear she is hanging up with the clothespins in her teeth are my joeys. 
That night I asked him if the green striped underwear at the neighbor lady's house is his underwear. He denies it, which I kind of expected. Joey always was a crappy liar. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Sarah. So, so I decides to keep my cool, if you know what I mean. Every night when he comes home drunk, which was about seven nights a week, I start cleaning out his pockets. He never said nothing. I guess it was on account that he thought he might have given his money to the cheap dame next door. I seen him looking for it, and then I just played dumb. After a couple of weeks, I saved up a pretty good stash, so I opened up a savings account. Did I tell you my Joey was a pool shark and had a poker room in the back of the bar? Well, sometimes Joey would come home with great big wads of money on account he used to run the numbers too. Those nights, I wouldn't take all of the money, but I got my fair share. The way I saw it, whatever I didn't get, he'd spend on her. Joey was a sorry, no good womanizing, cheating scumbag from the deepest swamps in Jersey, and I loved him so much. <laughs> I loved my Joey. I loved my Joey. My golden moment was at his funeral. Oh, she came all right, with her false eyelashes. Shiny platinum hair, skin-tight dress with her boobies popping out, a fur Joey probably gave her, red lipstick, and a stick of gum she popped like a percolator making morning coffee. Cheap with no class, if you know what I mean. She sat in the back of the church and cried. Can you believe the knife? She even waved at me like she does every time I'd see her hanging out a dirty laundry. How do you think it made me feel seeing her hang out her bed sheets and my husband's green striped underwear? I just smiled and waved back. It was better if they thought I didn't know. Then I'd go inside and stick pins in a cupie doll that kind of looks like her that I got down on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. I guess they both thought I was too dumb to know what was going on. How did he die, if I may ask? I guess he made the wrong guy mad. Someone shot him in the alley behind the bar. I got the bar, the fancy car, the bank account, plus the stash I had been putting away. I even found a suitcase with $50,000 hidden in the closet behind a loose board when I was cleaning out his stuff. I deserved it. I went through hell those nights knowing he was right next door at her apartment doing whatever. Can you imagine a man who would put his girlfriend in the house right next door? Everyone in the room shook their heads no. Oh, yeah. I got the apartment house, too. Joey won it in a poker game. Joey! Joey! I guess because I got all the money, I got the last laugh after all. But I ain't laughing now. God, I miss the big glutes. Joey, if you can hear me, I forgive you. You and your green striped underwear and that crazy dame with the clothespins in her teeth. 
Damn it, Joey. Just damn it. I sure hope you ain't in hell. But you probably are. Aw, that's too bad. Whatever happened to the girlfriend? I don't know, and I don't care. I had her evicted the day after the funeral. She can keep them old green striped underwear. That's all she gets. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's um. That's my girlfriend Tammy. Isn't she great? I mean, she's just fantastic. I, I really had some found some great talent here. So um. Say you did. Oh man, but. So the next clip that we're going to listen to is uh, Katie and uh, Tony. Okay, so Heather is one of the girls, and she had gotten mixed up with a gangster in Chicago. And the way that she ended up at Miss Pearl's was Pearl had been in Chicago, and she uh, knew that Tony had gotten upset with Heather. And so she came and got her and got her out of Chicago and she, because Tony was going to hurt her. And uh, Tony, Tony was a very sadistic, bad, bad man. So the next clip is he finds Heather in, uh, in Texas, but he's going to take care of Pearl first because he's really, he knew Pearl from the Everlay house and, uh, He's angry, very, very angry. And so he has this, he's a very, like I said, he's sadistic and he uh, likes to cut women up and throw them in the river kind of thing. I mean, he's just very, very bad guy. So he has captured Miss Pearl and uh, Miss, there's another girl at the Pearl, at Pearl's parlor named Texas Katie. And Texas Katie is basically the bouncer. So. We'll listen to what happens here. Pearl could sense Tony's insanity and try to ignore the yellow of his eyes. Pretending to be unconscious, Pearl could not scream or run away and knew what Tony wanted. She would be damned before she let him see any fear in her face. Closing her eyes with a gentle surrender seemed like her best option. Tony, the demonic beast, raised his knife in anger. Open your eyes, bitch. Open your eyes or I'll cut them out. Open your eyes, goddammit. I want to see your fear. I want to see you're afraid. Beg me. Beg me. They all beg me. Open your goddamn eyes, bitch. The shot ran out in the clear Texas night. Three of Tony's fingers evaporated, the knife blown away with them. Blood pouring from his hand, Tony grabbed his wrist, screaming and writhing. Rusty charged Tony, knocking him to the dirt and locking his jaws around his neck. No one could hear the commotion. Tony really had chosen a perfect spot by the river. No one could hear his shrieks. The most beautiful crystal blue eyes Tony had ever seen were aiming a shotgun directly at his forehead. 
You think you can come to Texas and do what you do in Chicago, you stupid thug? <laughs> I, I, I got money! What's the matter, What's the Tony? Please, Are you afraid? Please, please don't kill me! Please, You're not no. in Chicago. Please, You're please, in no. Texas. Someone should have told you. Don't mess with Texas, especially her women. Tony reached for his gun. The evil was gone. Oh. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember that part. Yeah, we've got, um, like I said, I've got every, there, I didn't miss much. <laughs> I don't think you missed anything. <laughs> no, but, you know, I, I always like those stories where, uh, the women were the woman champions, you know, um, where a woman can stick up for herself. And uh, there, of course, when you read Pearl, most people remember Texas Katie and her story, right? Um, oh, yeah. And and that's the one that people will, you know, they'll read the book and they'll go, oh, Texas Katie. I love Texas Katie, you know, because um, women don't have the physical strength that men do, right? And, uh, she turned it around and she certainly did. And yep, he, and he went away. So, so Texas Katie, you know, and the whole thing about that was one thing about these women that worked in these brothels. I mean, it was, it was rough, you know, and they, but they kept secrets and they took care of each other. And that was the main point of this is the, uh, that they took care, there was total trust, even with the clients. I mean, these girls didn't go banging on people's doors and said, guess where your husband was last night, you know. There, it was a place where, I mean, even today, they discuss politics. They discuss, you know, big business deals. All, all You know, men would have conversations in these brothels that they wouldn't have typically in front of their wives or, oh, yeah. or, you know, the women. So they were a different brand of women. Um, well, and I remember uh, one of the, one of the parts, um, I think it was the Everly sister. I, it may have been the Everly's where, where they went out to dinner and there were, there were, there were men who were their clients that were there and they absolutely, right. you know, there was a sense of, of it, it was almost like the church, like like the confessional. You know, there was yeah. a, a sense yeah. of you know what what happens there stays there. And, yes, and, yes. Um, while while you know their clients may well have paid for their meal or whatever quietly, right. there was never an acknowledgement of of a connection of any sort. Right, because because it was. Yeah, it it was it's what it is, you know, it's human nature, it's what it is, but there was a lot of integrity in those brothels. A lot of integrity. The women took care of each other. Um especially, you know, the the Everlays, they they those women were not allowed to have any drugs. And, you know, most of the brothels, you hear the horrible stories of they were all those girls were hooked on opium and lithium and, you know, and they died very young. Most of them died before they were 30 years old, most of the prostitutes. And, you know, it, it was a hard, hard life. But uh, the Everlay sisters took care of their girls. Pearl took care of their girls. So there's a lot of education there, uh-huh. a, lo- a lot of things that have changed, a lot of things that haven't changed. But 
a wonderful way to open up dialogue between women, you know. So uh, I apologize to anybody that I forgot to warn you about the bad language on that last clip. But, you know, you can't do something a little bit if you want to stress a point. So, no, I think this audience can take that. <laughs> are we adults here? Okay. So I have another one more clip from the book, and I just love this clip. Uh, when I was writing the book, I was working at a restaurant, and I have this great friend who works there. I always call him Huggy Duggy because he hugs everybody, right? Uh-huh. And and so I wrote Happy Harvey is Huggy Duggy. It's his character. And so this, so what happens here is in this part is uh, uh, Huggy Duggy. He his dad's very wealthy and very manly, right? And um, he's got suspicions about his son, right? <laughs> he's saying, "I'm taking him down to Miss Hattie's," right? Uh huh. And uh, so poor little Harvey has a secret, and. Uh, the secret is that, you know, he's just not into women. <laughs> he just isn't. And his dad is suspicious of this. So, again, we're talking about the integrity of these girls, right? So he meets Sugar. So we're going to hear what happens when he goes and meets Sugar and Happy Harvey. So, I hear this is your first time, Harvey. Or have you been with a woman without your daddy knowing? No, ma'am. Harvey was bewildered and a little confused. Sugar started taking off her clothes, revealing beautiful firm breasts, a long waist, and perfectly shaped hips that were swaying back and forth to a silent rhythm. Excuse me? Ma'am, ma'am, what are you doing? Harvey began dripping with perspiration. We're going to make Mr. Happy happy. Sugar put her hands below Harvey's belt buckle. Oh, my. Oh, my, my, my. Don't worry, honey. This happens sometimes. I I don't believe anything's going to happen, ma'am. Now, don't get me wrong. You're a lovely girl, but honestly, Mr. Happy only tingles. When I see a hard-muscled body attached to a tight, firm buttock and a pair of man's trousers, if you know what I mean. I think I do. I also like a hard-muscled body attached to a tight, firm buttocks in a pair of man's trousers, if you know what I mean. You're the first person I ever told. I know my father has different expectations for today, but honestly, I don't see this happening. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about the way I feel about men, but I really can't help it. Poor Harvey was sweating profusely and feeling more nervous and confused by the minute. I, I think my father's suspicious. That's why he brought me here today. You're a very beautiful woman, sugar, and really sexy. But I'm afraid it's not going to happen today or ever. Sugar was a sweetheart of a gal. I've got an idea. The springs on this bed are pretty loud. How about I jump up and down on the bed and yell something like, Ride em, cowboy. 
while you yell something like, Yeah, baby, yeah. Then when I give you the signal, you say, Yeah, sugar, yeah. Your father will think everything is hunky-dory, and I can make my money. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. Oh, and it's a commotion. Um, again, you, you know, I'm saving that. You guys, I don't want it. I don't want it. It's so funny. And that's actually Huggy Duggy. I talked him into reading for me. So um, anyway, I got bed spring sound effect and I got them and they're rip roaring and <laughs> they're jumping up and down. It's really, really cute. So um Anyway, so so you can see, Barbara, I've got a lot of different uh, angles here. You know, I I also put in the feminine. You know, we've got feminine energy inside male bodies. You know, and yes, and I I really wanted to put out the fact that they can't help that. You know, it's not a choice; it's what they are. And you know, um, sugar is really really sweet with him. And uh, loves him through it, you know, and it's a, it stays a secret. And in the book, it goes on. What what he would do is he would wait for people to walk by, uh-huh. uh, people he knew, and and he he'd have and he'd pay the girls to say, "Do it now, do it now," and he'd yell, "Oh, Harvey, you're the best lover in the whole town!" You know. <laughs> Screaming it out the window, so every and all of the men, you know, they were. He goes, he, he, there's a part where he goes, here, wait, here comes my banker. Do it now, come here. My banker's here. Do it now. So she <laughs> out of the bordello. This woman's screaming, you know, and uh, so they all kept his secret. <laughs> well, and and he was really he was good to all of them too. And, yes, he was. And, and I think. You know, you, you also include, you know, the town women and, and how they reacted and, and, right. um, right. it, it was, it, it, you, you really give a wonderful, you get a wonderful understanding as to the isolation they felt and yet the camaraderie that they had amongst themselves that was, I mean, it was a, it was a deep commitment to one another. It was, it was an amazing, uh, uh group of ladies. Right, and, right, and and I think the fact that you tuned into it so accurately, and and you brought their stories forward so so graphically and beautifully. Oh, thank um, you. It 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 just it it's a pleasure to read, and and I know that that it is a it, it it's a sweet sweet book. It's, thank you. Well, and also you know. Because I always want my reader, I wanted my reader to leave with all the bad guys are, are gone. All the good guys are, have happy, you know, everybody has a happy ending. So when you're at the end of the book, you go, oh, good, everybody has a happy ending, right? And, and then in Diamond, because what would happen would people would say, uh, uh, they'd say, I want more, I want to read more. I'm uh-huh. not, you know, I, I want to, have more and so I wrote Diamond and so there were several characters in Pearl like for for instance Redbird's mother you uh-huh. know so you, you never know what happens to Redbird's mother 
who abandons her family. She's a beautiful girl and she abandons her family. And uh, so you don't really know, but you find out in Diamond what happens to her, right? Yes. So so I did that. You know, I, I extended. And the part about the Everlay sisters was true. Just the part that they did go to New York and they did... Uh, they were very involved in theater. They loved the theater. And uh, so, of course, I put them with Mae West mm-hmm. and and the story of Mae West. Um, and then I found another woman named Louise Brooks who, I mean, she kept showing up when I was writing Pearl. I said, who is this woman? You know, who? Because I've got pictures in Pearl that of the draped nudes. It was a a very popular way of photography. Uh-huh. And I keep seeing Louise Brooks. Well, she was the thing in the 1920s. She was the Marilyn Monroe of the 1920s. But her story and Mae West's story are so different, and their attitudes were so different. And so the point of those two women was that when you act like Louise Brooks, you you can die a lonely alcoholic, which is what happened to her, uh-huh. right? Uh, Mae West, I mean, who hasn't heard of Mae West, right? Um, very strong, powerful. She knew her power. Oh, my God, I love Mae West. Love her. I love Louise Brooks, too. I, I love both of them. But that's, I think Louise Brooks, is, now that I think about it, is probably the one of the biggest reasons I wrote these books is because Louise had nobody mentoring her. She had no support. She um she, you know, in real life, she was abused when she was nine years old and her mother kind of blew it off, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, said, what did you do? It blamed it on her, you know, that this man um, did this to you and had no time for her, for her or gave her no attention. And, uh, and then, of course, Mae West was, you know, her parents just adored her. They loved her. And... Um, Someone told me she had, she was adopted. I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, they just loved her. So it just shows the difference of when we love, you know, little girls, we need to love them and give them self-confidence. Because otherwise, you know, if someone with bad self-esteem, because Louise was so beautiful and she got away with so much stuff, she sizzled on stage. She was just, she was just uh, awesome. And Zig, she, you know, she, she was in the Zigfield Follies, and sometimes she wouldn't show up just because she was a stinker, and Zigfield would say, whatever, she's a hot item, you know. So she got away with a lot. But um, anyway, so again, looking at women, looking at why women do what they do, um, really trying to emphasize that we need to give our young women self-esteem, show them self-esteem, and Practice self-respect, uh, demand respect, and um, and to be treated right because it's just not worth it. Nowadays, women can take care of themselves all around. They can make their own money. We're not in that place anymore. Where um, and we love men. I'm not demonizing men at all. In fact, you 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 see that through. But you know, respect is a and appreciation is uh, is something that's very very um, it just has to happen, you know. Yeah, you know? and and of course you make 
You make working in a bordello seem to be the most exciting profession. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because all those cowboys are hot. My cowboys, oh yeah, in my book, (laughs) those cowboys are hot. Which, by the way, there's a song. It's about it's a couple. It's about two or three minutes called "The Cowboys Are Coming to Town." If Sean wants to play that, it's part. It's the opening song of the musical. Maybe we could play that real quick. Let's listen to that. Okay. Great. It was a wonderful, really, really fun. This is the People's 